So I want to, uh, uh, let's talk a little more about school, being as it's graduation season, last day of school season. I know I had a kindergartner, uh, Elijah, this past week with his very first last day of school, and, um, and then my third grader with his last day of school. And, and so I got to thinking about uh, some of the lessons learned at school, and uh, obviously, you get a lot of life lessons in the classroom. Uh, for instance, my, my kindergartner learned to uh, read and write in sentences this past year, and so he will um, use that skill every day of his life. It's a whole life kind of skill. And, and my older son, Spencer, in third grade, spent a lot of time memorizing uh, the, the uh, multiplication tables. And that's something that we learn uh, very young, but, but we learn in the classroom. We use it throughout life almost every day in, in some way or another, the multiplication table. So a lot, of, a lot of life lessons in the classroom at school. But I think even more relevant life lessons are learned in the playground or on the bus or in the cafeteria. You know, I mean, you learn a lot about life in the cafeteria, those street smart kinds of lessons. And, and so I, I, I recalled um, <clears throat> one of my last days of school at Whittier Elementary. I think I was in fifth grade. And it was the last day of school, and, and we were in the cafeteria. And, and I, I, I didn't have the, 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 the mindset as a fifth grader to apply uh, everything I learned that day, but it certainly was a powerful life lesson. So sitting in the cafeteria, um, on my last day of school in fifth grade at Woodier Elementary, sitting across from my friend Keith. And I didn't know Keith very well, but I happened to be the kid I was sitting across from that day. And this all happened, keep in mind, this was not a bully thing. This happened with smiles and, you know, it was, it was all in, in fun. Um, now, in the cafeteria, there were really only two things worth eating in at Woodier Elementary. Uh, one was the, uh, the, the peanut butter square, we have to you know, remember the peanut butter squares because I don't know that they are in existence anymore because of the nut allergies that have just kind of popped up all over the place. We didn't even know, you know back in, in the 80s about, about a nut allergy. At least I didn't. Um, uh, so it was probably good that nobody came to our house with, with a nut allergy. But, but the peanut butter square uh, was something to look forward to. And then the second um, was, was the tater tot. You know, when it was tater tot day, that was a good day. So, um, Maslin, Ohio, Whittier Elementary, uh, predominantly blue-collar, lower-middle-class families a part of... So, so money wasn't flowing, but when you knew it was tater tot day or, or um, um, peanut butter square day, you'd bring your 35 cents so you could go get extras. It was a good day when you had a quarter and a dime and could go up and get extras. And in um, this particular day, it was the last day of school and tater tot day, which, I mean, does it get any better? <clears throat> so Keith finished his lunch and went up and got extra tater tots. And he sits back down with that, you know, pile of the... the, the Picture it now, the lunch ladies with the silver spoon, the, the serving spoon, and they pile it, and, and he comes and he sits down. 
and he's got his little pile of tater tots on, on his tray. And, um, and, and, you know, in fifth grade, you start to notice girls and those awkward interactions, and there starts, you know, popularity, things like that. And so Keith is sitting there, and, and a couple of the girls come over to him and say, can I have a tater tot? And, and he says yes, and they take a couple and a couple, and then another few girls come over and a couple and a couple, and before you know it, Keith looks up, and I'll never forget the, the, the sheepish grin on his face. His tray is now empty. He has not had a single one of his extra tater tots. They have all been taken by the girls sitting around him. Now, I, he may very well. That might have been a good investment for him. I don't know. But the lesson is this. When you have tater tots, everybody's going to want one. And if you don't protect your tater tots, you will lose them before you know it. Now, this is funny because it's tater tots, but it's not so funny in life because what I've seen is that there are... Everybody has, has a fixed amount of, of, of energy and time and resources, money, things like that. And, and before you know it, you can look up and, and, and everybody's just kind of, of, of taken, taken, taken. And, and before you know it, um, you're not doing the things you want to in life. And, and sometimes it's, it's way late in life and you realize that, that you've wasted a good portion of your life not accomplishing a lot of the things that you would have wanted to accomplish. You have artificial relationships with, with users who will take everything and, and you haven't had time to do that thing or you haven't been able to give to that thing uh, Sometimes it's, it's a divorce or, or kids that, that feel neglected. I mean, this can lead, this principle that starts in the lunchroom can lead to some pretty serious consequences in life because everybody wants your tater tots, right? <laughs> he knows already. Um, and if you're not careful, they're gone before you know it. <clears throat> so we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And uh, Exodus is the story of God forming his people, the Jewish people, and he's building his character into these people. And he calls Moses um, to, to lead them. And, and, and we see this concept of protecting what you have to give and being selective in what you say yes to. We see it in, in something written 3,500 years ago. Now, this is what I love about the Bible, because somewhere along the line, somebody started a rumor that the Bible was a book of rules and rituals, and it's not relevant to life. But what I see in the Bible is 3,500 years ago, they were writing about stuff that is so relevant to our life today with, with, with great advice. And, and so that's what we're going to look at today, this concept of, of protecting our tater tots, protecting the, the resources that we have to make sure we're using them in, in ways that God has set aside for us uh, to use them. Um, so, Exodus. God rescues the Israelite people, the Jewish people, his chosen people. He rescues them from slavery takes them out of Egypt, and he calls Moses to lead them and guide them and to represent God as, as he interacts with them. So this is the equivalent. Uh, there are probably 800,000 to a million Israelites that were out of Egypt. And, and so you think about the city of Columbus, 800,000 people or so. It'd be like God took the city of Columbus 
dropped it in the desert, gave you a staff and said, lead them, a staff, not like a bunch of people, but like a rod, and and said, this is your staff, lead this people. That was the situation that Moses finds himself in. Uh, People just moved away, and now they're going to uh, build the character of God in these people. And so, um, as Moses is leading these people, some things develop, and this is what happens in Matthew 18. Verse 7 says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, Jethro, and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. Small talk went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law of all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship uh, that had come upon them in the way, along the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced, the father-in-law rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? All the people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another person. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. This thing is too heavy for you. You don't have enough tater tots. It says that. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God will be with you. You represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, honest people. Place such men over people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Now every great matter they'll bring to you, but any smaller matter... They decide themselves, so it'll be easier for you, and they will bear your burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go in peace. In other words, things will be better if you delegate and you focus on the things you were called to do. So Moses has an incredible call from God. In, 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 in Exodus 4, we, God says, you need to be my voice. You need to represent me. You need to pray for these people and be out ahead of them and guide them and lead them. And as the leader, pretty soon, everybody wants a piece of Moses' time and his wisdom. And so he's busy from morning till night helping them with their individual needs trying to accommodate their desire for his time and wisdom. And Jethro steps in, and he says, you need to be a representative of the people and and speak for God, for, for the people. 
We need to teach people what is right and build a team. You shouldn't be the one who sits in small claims court and deals with people individually. Now, we'll apply this more in a minute to everyday life because it's a big deal. But I want to show you that this is not just a one-time Bible concept in Exodus. This is actually a thread throughout Scripture and very, very relevant for our life today. We have to recognize this is a problem. Started 3,500 years ago. Enters the lunchroom through extras and manifests itself throughout our life in many different ways. And if we don't take it serious, we will waste our potential. This is Acts chapter 6. So it wasn't just Moses. It wasn't just Exodus. It's other places in Scripture. This is a biblical concept. Acts chapter 6 Jesus has risen from the dead. The church is birthed and commissioned. And the, 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 the apostles who were the disciples of Jesus are leading the church, making decisions, representing God, guiding the people. Much like Moses, there were thousands of brand new Christians with all kinds of needs wanting the apostles' time because they were the experts. This is what it says in, in, in Acts 6, chapter 6. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Jews with a Greek background and Christians with a Greek background were complaining against the Christian Jews with a Hebrew background because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the apostles, the leaders, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God, of preaching and teaching scripture in order to serve at tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. See the similarities here between the two stories? And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and teaching the Bible. So we see the same pattern. These men were called to specific roles in God's kingdom. And everyone around them wanted their focus. They recognized that their real call was to prayer and teaching the Bible. So they got out of the presenting issues to create margin so that they could pray and teach. Now, it's as practical as it gets right here. Do you think that that offended some people? Like there were some people who went to Moses and said, we need you to guide our... And he said, no, you need to go over there and, and, and... What, you're too good for us now? And there were some people, there were some widows who needed some help. And the apostles had to say no to that specific need and guide them somewhere else. Rely on other people. No doubt there were some people talking, they're just too good, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't care about us. They didn't, this, as you create margin, as you protect those tater tots, you will offend people, you will hurt feelings, you will be misunderstood. So let me take the rest of my time uh, to try to walk through some, some very practical things here, how we can apply this very real issue to our life from, from, from Scripture. The first necessary takeaway is that you absolutely have biblical permission to say no. 
You don't have to say yes to every important thing. You have God's permission to say no. Moses did. The apostles did. Because you were created for certain purposes. You were not designed for everything. The future of God's kingdom is not on your shoulders. But the things that God has designed you for and called you to, that is on your shoulders. And if you say yes to everything, you won't have time or energy or resources to give to the things that God has designed you for. Now in both of these stories, a calling was understood and clarified. Jethro tells Moses, you're called to represent the people, not to be a small claims court judge. There's nothing wrong with being a judge. It's just not who Moses was called to be. The same with the apostles. Serving the poor is one of the highest biblical callings in Scripture. But the apostles were called to pray and teach the Bible. So they had to be certain of their calling to know, where do I have to give my time? What do I have to protect? What do I say no to? Now it's up to you to dig down deep and figure out your unique callings and passions those things that are most important for you. But I'll give you a couple up front. <clears throat> if you're married, that's your highest calling from God. That's your most important thing on earth because God makes you one with your spouse. And, and, and that's your highest calling. So if you're saying yes, 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 yes to everybody and you have no tater tots left to give to your spouse, you're out of alignment with God. Your spouse needs your best. And so Jethro comes by and he looks at your day and he realizes you have nothing left to give to your spouse, really. They're getting crumbs. He says, this isn't good. This isn't good. You need to say no to some things because your spouse is your number one entrustment. If you have children, that's a close second. Spouse, number one. Children, close second. And they need your time and your influence. They need to be invested in. So if you're saying yes to all kinds of great things and you have no tater tots left for your kids, you're out of alignment with... Well, Jethro comes and he reviews your day. He says, it's not good. You're saying yes to too many of these things and what's most important. Now, with kids... You are God's number one tool to teach them his love for them. And if you're neglecting that, that's a big drop. And we know that 85% of all people who say yes to Jesus do so between 4 and 14 in that age right, while they're children. And so this is an very, a very important time in, in, in the life of your kids as human beings is... is is their time in your home. And if you have nothing left for them, you have to say no to some things. You just have to. And then there are just the, the, the unique callings that God gives you. And you need to wrestle through. What are the things you feel strongly about? Where are your giftings? Where are your talents? Where are your passions? What's that thing that you see out there that needs to be fixed? And you need to have time and space to work towards those things. You need to be mindful of your callings in life. <clears throat> the second piece to take away 
is that you alone are responsible for your life. Everyone around you will be happy to tell you what you should do with your time and energy and resources. Everyone around you. That's the tater tot lesson. Everybody wants some. Everybody has that great thing, that important thing, that need. But at the end of your life, you're the one responsible. So you could give, 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 have nothing left for your kids, nothing left for your spouse, nothing left for the things that God has called you uniquely to, but you still give, 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 give. You're the one responsible for a life that fell short of its intention from the Creator. The difficult thing about this is that it's insidious. It's like it's not obviously bad, it just kind of creeps. So there's nothing wrong with helping somebody through a problem. It wasn't like Moses could easily say, nope, that's wrong, I, I shouldn't be helping you. There's certainly nothing wrong with serving poor widows. You don't detect it, it just creeps up until you've said yes to everything and you have time, or you, you don't have time for the things that matter most in who you were called to be. I hear all the time of grown adults lamenting uh, their parents who got so involved in church that they didn't meet the needs of the spouse or the kids felt abandoned by their parents because of great causes and things like that. And it wasn't that the parents intended, they just got sucked in to doing too many good things and, and, and in doing so, neglected the things that matter most. So you can't live out your calling and please everyone. If you're true to callings in life, it means that you're going to say no, you're going to upset people, you're going to be misunderstood, you're going to say no to great and important opportunities. Let me take a minute to share how this works for me. Not that I'm perfect, but I feel like I do a decent job. I still have a long way to go in terms of, of the life balance thing. This, this is two important principles here. First of all, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People calls this big rocks. No, you're big rocks. Moses and Jethro, okay, Jethro beat him to the concept by 3,500 years. But big rocks is a great analogy. So you have a bucket, and that represents your capacity. And there are these boulders that have to go in the bucket. Then there are smaller rocks, then there are pebbles, then there are sand. And you want to get all that stuff in the bucket. But if you want to get all that stuff in the bucket, the first thing you have to put in are the big rocks. Because if you put the small rocks and you put the sand in, you're not going to have room for the big rocks. But if the big rocks are in, then a lot of the smaller stuff can, can fit in. But you want those big rocks in. And so you have to know, what are the things in my life that are the big rocks? What? Like, like this is not going to happen unless you are intentional about knowing the big things and protecting the big things. So if you're a spouse, if you're a parent, 
I know like, like for me, uh, my sermon requires a lot of work. It may surprise you, but I actually spend quite a bit of time. And if I don't protect those times, the emails, the meetings, the things like that will get in the way. And, and I always feel like it shows when that happens. And so you protect that. Uh, well, more importantly, like, like my, my wife, um, we need to have scheduled lunches and dates. And we're out right now. I say that guilty as charged. We don't have our next lunch date or adult big people date, no kids on the schedule. And when that happens, our life is often reduced, our marriage is often reduced to a series of phone calls and crashing on the couch at the end of the night when we have nothing left to give. So those big rocks need to be on the schedule or they get trumped by landscaping and yard work and, and painting and things like that. I need bike rides with my kids and catch with my kids on the schedule. Or else, little things, you get the concept. We have to know those big rocks and get them scheduled and protected or they go away. It gets eaten by lesser important things. <clears throat> and to protect those big rocks, you say no <clears throat> to great opportunities. And the second thing is this. So big rocks, and then comes from Jeth Jethro's wisdom, you can't do it alone. It's a great line in Exodus when Jethro says, you can't, you can't do it alone. You have to have other people in your life to help you be aware of things. Think about this. This is a big deal. Moses was one of the greatest human leaders of all time. I mean, I think anybody who's a student, a student of leadership would say Moses was one of the greatest human leaders who performed one of the greatest tasks ever in human leadership. The Bible also identifies Moses as one of the most godly men who ever walked the face of the earth, like top five, I mean, hall of fame, Mount Rushmore of the faith, Moses. Jethro had to come into his life and help him sort things out. Scripture says before this moment, he had sent away his wife and children. Like, go somewhere else so I can deal with this. That's how out of whack he got. That's Moses. Moses is a better leader than you. And he's sure a better leader than me. Moses is more godly than you. He's way more godly than me. If he needed Jethro to come straighten his life out, how much more do we need people? We simply cannot do this alone. If you refuse to put people in your life who can pick out your faults your momentary lapses in judgment. And what you're saying is, I know Moses couldn't handle it, but I, I got this. And that's not wise. So at Polaris, we have this system of, of small groups that we're building. Leanne Beck, I see her out there, is, is the director of our small group community life. 
It's our way to try to give you a front door into building this kind of community. Small groups meet once a month, twice a month, sometimes more. And, and there are genuine friendships uh, developing out of, out of small groups. Our, our small group comes over. My kids love it. Uh, they see us praying together and reading the Bible together and learning together. They build friendships of their own. Uh, we build friendships within our small group. We ask each other Jethro kinds of questions. There are also guys at Polaris that I get together with regularly to ask those Jethro kinds of questions because if we don't have people helping us, it, it's tough. To, the, the thing is, we, our intentions are good, but it's tough to see as life comes at us. Because life happens fast and these opportunities flood in and, and it just gets, gets blurry. So it takes outside help. I hope you have someone in your life and you're not trying to do it alone because you're not better than Moses. And small groups may be a great place to start. If not, I hope you have followers of Jesus in other places that are helping you along. In God's kingdom, everybody plays. It's like my Reds coach pitch team. Everybody plays. And when everybody plays, let me tell you as the coach of these knuckleheads, things get messy. But what that means is that because everybody plays, you're not called to do everything. There are other people called to do the things that you're not called to do. So you don't have to do everything. You just have to figure out what are your things that God has called you to. And if you're married, if you're a parent, you got two right there. But you have to have the space to do the things that God has called you to do. And that means you have to get good at knowing what to say yes to and knowing what to say no to. You have to figure out your big rocks and schedule them, and you have to have other people in your life to help you do that. So you have 12 tater tots, and there are 24 kids with 48 outstretched hands, and they all want one. If you start handing them out to people as they ask, you'll never have enough to go around to the places that they really need to go. So you decide where your tater tots should go, and you'll upset people who want what you have. But this is your life. You're accountable for what you do with your tots. So protect your tots. All right? Let's stand and close and enjoy this incredible weather. <clears throat> Father, You've given us a life and a calling, and, and, and I want to pray that you would give us clarity as to that calling, those callings, those things that you uniquely want us to do. Help us to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, and a lot of that's just going to come from uh, core convictions that you give us. Help us to live for more than just placating and pleasing everybody. Um, guide us in this because it really is hard, God. Um, we we want to do well and we get distracted. I pray that you would show us people in our life and that we would pursue the kinds of friendships that the, uh, give us Jethro's 
to come storming in if necessary and, and, and pick our lives apart and get us back on track and give us the strength and courage to say no so that we have the margin it takes to do the things you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.